<laughs> Welcome back, everybody. Today's History by Tolliver is brought to you by this large cup of coffee that's sitting right here next to me. Without this coffee, I would not be awake. Podcast is also brought to you by Odin Barks. If you've got an annoying neighbor who's walking in the street, Odin Barks. It'll get them every time. Podcast is also brought to you in part by Valley View Middle School. If you're looking for a middle school, Valley View Middle School. More Odenbarks there. Today, we are going to start off talking about the decline of feudalism. There's three major reasons for the decline of feudalism. The first major reason are political changes in England. Political changes such as the Magna Carta or Model Parliaments are both major changes that take place in England that are going to change the landscape of feudalism forever. Another major factor was the bubonic plague, also known as the Black Death. Um, that is another major factor that changes feudalism and weakens it very much. The last major factor, we've kind of talked briefly about this before, is the 100 Years' War. This is a conflict that's fought between the French and the English, and guess what? It lasts for roughly 100 years. So with that being said, let's get into it. So, the story begins with this guy by the name of King Henry. Henry is king of England from 1154 to 1189 CE. Henry is relevant to your life because he makes some major legal reforms in England, which obviously will eventually impact America. Uh, one of these major legal reforms has to do with people being accused of crimes. Before Henry, if you were accused of a crime, who would have handled it? Your local feudal lord. And he would have been judge, jury, and executioner, essentially, and it would be all on him to determine if you were guilty or innocent. One of the major changes that Henry makes is that no longer will the local feudal lord be hearing cases to determine if people are guilty or innocent. Now, Henry says that all people accused of crimes have to be tried in front of a court uh, and a jury. And again, why is this important? Because it takes away power from the feudal lords and gives it to Henry's stronger central government. Another major thing that Henry does that causes some waves of tension with the church is he spells out this new document called the Constitutions of Clarendon. This document is a big deal because we see a lot of influence um, of these documents like this within our Declaration of Independence and mostly our Constitution slash the Bill of Rights. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So Henry, in this document, spells out the traditional right of kings, meaning this is what I as king can do and this is what I as king cannot do. He's just kind of laying it out there of what the king can do and what the king can't do. And one of the powers that the king says that he has now is that he can try members of the church in his new federal royal court system rather than the church trying their own people in their own church court. 
Oh, this causes a lot of problems in the Catholic Church. They don't like being told what to do because remember, in this time period, the Catholic Church is super powerful. Um, in fact, you know, it, the king and the monarch, either the king and the church, are essentially have the same amount of power. And we've talked about it before. People in power, when they have power, they don't like to give it up. And the church is no different. Um, so this document that Henry spells out takes a lot of power away from the church and gives it to the king. This is going to cause a huge ripple effect that's going to result in the death of one of the king's friends, a guy by the name of Thomas Becket. Becket was an archbishop in a town called Canterbury. And... In 1173, there are some knights who come around who want to gain the king's favor, and they end up killing Thomas Becket, which is not what King Henry wanted, but how it ends out, again, just leads to more tension between the church and the English government. Another major change happens a little bit later with King Henry's youngest son, John. John becomes king after his brother, King Richard the Lionheart, dies. And if you know anything about Robin Hood, and I know y'all are in that Disney Plus right now, you got your Disney Plus games probably pretty strong. Um, if you look up the Robin Hood Disney movie, you'll hear all about King John. This is the same King John that's associated with all of your Robin Hood tales. So King John takes power and automatically the people really hate King John because he renews a big fight with France and he ends up losing a lot of land that the English used to control, um, but now the French have taken back. <clears throat> Additionally, John continues in his father's legacy uh, in terms of fighting with the Catholic Church about who's the most powerful. Um, in fact, John takes a lot of money from the church, which again leads a lot of people to dislike him. Um, King John also kind of goes a little bit of power hungry and to the point where all of the local nobles meet and they say, hey, we got to do something about this guy. And they make King John sit down with them uh, in a place called Runnymede beside the River Thames and they make him, they basically hold him hostage until he signs this document called the Magna Carta. The Magna Carta, again, is a huge deal because we see influence of the Magna Carta in the Constitution of the United States, which, again, spells out your rights as a citizen. And that's exactly what the Magna Carta does. It, again, kind of reinforces that uh, document that we talked about earlier, um, the Constitutions of Clarendon, about what a king can and can't do. Uh, the nobles... <clears throat> agree that the monarch can continue to rule, um, but King John has to agree to observe common law and the traditional rights of the nobles and the church. Um, an example, he promises to consult the nobles and church archbishops and bishops before imposing special taxes. He also agrees that no free man can be jailed uh, except by a lawful judgment of his peers and by the law of the land. Again, this develops into a key part of common English law known as habeas corpus. So habeas corpus basically says that no free man can be jailed without the lawful judgment and jury by his peers. 
The next person that we need to talk about is a guy by the name of King Edward I. King Edward is King John's grandson, and he takes another major step in terms of legal reforms. And the thing that he does that no one else has thought of before is he creates this new governing body called Model Parliament. Model Parliament is important because before King Edward takes this big step, the only people really involved in government are people who have, guess what? You guessed it, money, cash, money. And again, you know, we've talked about it before. If you've got money, you've got power. King Edward realizes this and he sees that a lot of common people don't really get their opinion or their voices heard in government and he wants to change that. So he develops this thing called Model Parliament. And within Model Parliament, it includes commoners, so just everyday Joe Schmoes like you and I, and includes low-ranking clergy, so some members of the church, um, as well as, you know, those nobles and those high-ranking church officials as well. So does it take all rich, wealthy people out of government? No. But what does it do is it gives everyday Joe Schmo, like you and I, a voice in government. So now instead of these rich, powerful noblemen and rich, powerful church people being the only people who are making decisions for our government, now we've got commoners and low-ranking church members um, in that government as well. And that's going to be good because we're going to have more opinions heard and obviously for you know, people who don't have a lot of money, this is going to be a big deal. Um, these political changes contribute to the decline of feudalism in two ways. Uh, one way is it strengthens the royal authority at the expense of the nobles. Meaning what? Meaning that now the king and that federal type government is have, having more power um, than the nobles. And again, remember in the feudal system, the nobles, your local lord, is the guy who's got the most power. So we're starting to shift that. Uh, it also weakens feudalism by shifting some power to the common people. So now, after model parliament, no longer do we have only rich and powerful people in government. Now we've got some people, you know, like everyday Joe Schmo, like you and I, who are involved in government, who are going to be making major decisions. Obviously, legal reforms are a major part of why feudalism really declines and weakens. Again, just to kind of recap some of the things that we talked about. How have these three kings that we've discussed, how have they brought around major legal reforms that brought about an end to the feudal system? Well, King Henry institutes a couple of major changes. Number one, he says that all people have to be tried by a jury of their peers by a royal court system. Again, why is that important? Because it takes away power from your local feudal lord and gives it to the courts, gives it to the federal government. Another major thing that Henry does is that he issues this Constitutions of Clarendon, which spells out the traditional rights of king. Meaning, here's a document now that says what a king can do and what a king can't do. And why is this important? Because a lot of the things that he says a king can do are against the church. So instead of the church having ultimate authority now in feudal Europe, uh, now the king has a lot of those powers previously held 
by the church. And again, this leads to the death of one of King Henry's closest friends, a guy by the name of Thomas Beckett. They have a lot of disagreements, but they're still friendly. Um, and again, because of this Constitutions of Clarendon, King Henry's friend, Thomas Beckett, is killed. King John signs the Magna Carta. Why is the Magna Carta a big deal? Because it's the first major document that really puts a limit on the king's power. So no longer in feudal Europe can we have tyrant kings who go around doing whatever they want. Now we've got a limit on that. You know, now what does the Magna, Com uh, Magna Carta accomplish? The Magna Carta says that the king has to observe the common law and the traditional rights of nobles and the church. He has to consult the church and the nobles before he places any taxes on the people. And it also says that no free man can be jailed without the lawful judgment of his peers, um, which is that concept called habeas corpus, which again is still around today. The last guy who we need to discuss briefly is King Edward I. His major innovation that he makes is something called model parliament. Why is model parliament such a big deal? It's a big deal because it's the first time that common people have a say in government. And why do we like that? Because the more people who get their opinions heard in government, the better that government is going to be. We've discussed this quite a few times uh, within democracy and within our government about how that's great that all these people get to hear their opinions heard. And now instead of the rich and wealthy being the only people who are making major decisions for feudal Europe, now we've got low-ranking church officials as well as common people uh, involved in the making of these decisions. So that's going to wrap it up for section two. Be on the lookout uh, for section three and four a little bit later on today. I'll talk to you guys later. Bye.